the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. American prosperity is the bedrock of freedom and security all over the world. An obligation to the heritage of liberty and dignity handed down to us by our forefathers. It's time for the Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And it's day two. Day two, we've got to go back to our Monroe Doctrine. So we'll get to that in a moment. We've got a lot um, uh, to cover today. And I want to encourage you a couple things. One, please visit ProAmericaReport.com. That kicks to a Substack where I write lengthier pieces and you can go there. It's, I hope, valuable to you. It's tr- I'm trying to force myself to take some of the thoughts that we have together um, on the program and on, on all these interviews and put them in a longer form. So encourage me by going there and you can sign up free uh, and make sure you get an email uh, update on the Substack. Also, please visit phyllisschlafly.com. Sign up there for the daily email, the daily wink, which we continue the great work of Ryan Height and uh, Mason Mohan keeps all that stuff going at the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, uh, phyllisschlafly.com. Go over there and check it out. Um, and uh, also um, you can go there and John, I, I got some, a text from some one of you, uh, t- uh, John Schlafly and Andy Schlafly's columns are at phyllisschlafly.com. We, we announced that they run over at townhall.com because it's a sister site of the Salem Radio Network, but the uh, place where they really are housed and archived is phyllisschlafly.com and lots of writings there. In fact, I will uh, make sure to post on social media. Phyllis uh, wrote about um, John Kerry, Secretary of State John Kerry, and how dumb he is. Uh, she didn't say that, but how his, uh, his declaring that the Monroe Doctrine was dead was a mistake. And she actually, typical Phyllis, she said, what exactly, what exactly was John Kerry? Who is, who was, I think it was, who is John Kerry working for when he does that? Because he's not working for we the people. He's not working for our interests. All right. Um, so um, the, uh, uh, oh, that's really cool. I'm actually, I did a search for that uh, column and um, the, uh, the, uh, I got an email that Phyllis sent back in 20, um, in 2013 about that column on John uh, Kerry. Anyway, we'll, we'll talk more about that. All right. Um, let's go to the Monroe doctrine though. It's coming up December 2nd will be the 200th anniversary. The history of the Monroe doctrine is so important. It was, it was James Monroe, president James Monroe's seventh annual message to Congress. Now, in the old days, they did those messages by uh, mail, uh, by a written word. They didn't have speeches because there was no TV. There wasn't any radio. So the drama of it was reading it to the guys in the the guys and gals in the Congress. Or I guess there, maybe there weren't any women yet. But, you know, him going over to read it live, they just sent it up as a document. So it was a written document uh, for many, many years into the 20th century. 
But uh, it was his seventh annual message. It includes a lot of stuff. If you read the whole document, there's lots of stuff in there uh, on other aspects of basically report to Congress. At that time, you'll remember, the president was not as immensely powerful as uh, the presidency is today. There was no federal income tax. The budget was a lot smaller. Um, so you had us. It was sort of a report. It was um, much more like the president was working with uh, almost for the Congress, especially since uh, you had, um, you know, Washington had served his two terms and left and he did not become the king. He did not uh, become the, uh, you know, the the almighty uh, leader he yielded. So the presidency was strong and important, but it wasn't like it is today where the massive size of the government, the massive size of the military, the massive size of the of the uh, budget all makes it so the presidency is even more powerful. Anyway, so this is the 1823 annual message uh, and the annual message from James Monroe. So seventh annual message to the Congress. And in there, he describes this important doctrine, the Monroe Doctrine. Now, a couple of examples, by the way, that they use the Monroe Doctrine uh, early in the first 30 or 40 years after he was uh, president. They invoked the Monroe Doctrine uh, in talking to Mexico, and they were putting pressure on Mexico to make sure that they would not allow the French government to get into Mexico, to take over Mexico. They, Forty years after that, 1904, uh, the European uh, creditors of Latin America were uh, uh, pressured. There was a reason the Monroe Doctrine was invoked then in 1904 to say, don't let these uh, European creditors creditors come to dominate Latin America, which brings us forward to one of the great failures of the conservative movement. I use that term loosely and guys like Bill Buckley, Bill Buckley and all of those folks, they they allowed the Panama Canal, which America built. We paid for. We built it with our ingenuity. And in the in 1970s, under uh, Jimmy Carter, with the advocacy of Bill Buckley and others on the conservative side, we gave the Panama Canal back. Why do I say that? Because one of the major intrusions into our hemisphere by the communist regime in China is the Panama Canal. They control the Panama Canal now. They control the land around it. They control the operating system there. I mean, the physical plant that operates the uh, Panama Canal. It's a huge problem. Because even though you can fly everywhere now, you can't fly all your cargo you still have to ship it. You still have to send your military ships through uh, the Panama Canal and or through some way or go around. And so it's a huge failure. And guys like Bill Buckley, it turns out, and the late Phyllis Schlafly was great on this. The, the reason that the uh, advocates wanted to get rid of the Panama Canal and were so desperate to even conservatives is money. Follow the money. The follow the money tells you. And, and it was blatantly obvious that there was a bunch of American banks that were owed money by the Panamanian dictator. And so once he got control of the Panama Canal, he was instantly wealthy. He could pay them back. And Phyllis Schlafly talked all about it. Follow the money. But here we are back to the Monroe Doctrine. I, I want to speak 
about the communist Chinese regime, the system that is so antithetical and hammer home for you two things that must happen. One, we should get back to Panama Canal. I don't know how you do that. I know you could just take it, but whatever it is, we need to get back to control, force the Chinese communist regime out of their ownership and and control of the Panama Canal at the very least. At the very least, they can't control it. At the very best, we'd get it back. That's number one. But the second one is is going to be more controversial. I mentioned it yesterday, but I want to hammer home for you. We must ban TikTok. If you take one thing away from this uh, Monroe Doctrine discussion. Oh, by the way, I, I, I'm looking back at my notes. Uh, 1962, the Monroe Doctrine was invoked by Kennedy uh, to, to fight uh, to make the Soviet Union back off on the missile uh, launching sites in Cuba. Sorry, it's in my notes. I was going through a few of the examples, Uh, but back to the uh, TikTok. TikTok is an infiltration into American life that has to be stopped. It's one thing for uh, Zuckerberg to be a liberal and own Facebook and Instagram. It's a one thing for, um, you know, social media giants, Elon Musk, to be a libertarian leaning conservative with free speech. It's true that those American owned companies can influence the American people and voters, et cetera. Uh, but here's a problem. When the communist Chinese regime owns TikTok, that's that's different than just being liberal. Now, I'm not sitting here saying advocating for, you know, forcing Zuckerberg to to change Facebook, but I'm just not talking about I'm not talking about regulating now. I'm not talking about any of them at all. I'm saying the communist regime, the communist regime in China cannot have a, a infiltration into America like they're doing with TikTok. And you say, well, the Monroe Doctrine back when Monroe meant it, he meant, uh, you know, he was worried about imperialism and worried about invasion and worried about a change of government that happened all over the world. I understand. What I'm saying is the, the, the Chinese communists admit they don't allow TikTok in their country and they admit that they have control over TikTok such that they can decide what people see. They call it a heat button and what is promoted in their space. And they promote over there all kinds of transgender, all kinds of sexuality, all kinds of things. Whether you agree or disagree, my point is this. The communist Chinese shouldn't have the ability to do it. If you want to argue that Facebook also promotes liberal causes and sexuality, whatever, I don't I'm not debating that. I'd like to, and I think we should stop it. And I think parents should not let their kids have social media. And I think social media should be banned for kids until they turn 18. You can't drive a car until you're 16 or 17 or 18. You shouldn't be on social media destroying your mind. But you certainly shouldn't let the Chinese communists infiltrate America by using TikTok and admitting it. How stupid are we? You know, it's a little bit, I, I will say, it's a little bit like in a period of time after World War II, we had Voice of America and we we were blasting Voice of America across uh, uh, the radio, across, um, you know, on speakers and, and, and uh, excuse me, well, sometimes speakers at the at the borders, but also into this behind the Soviet, uh, the, the, the curtain, the Iron Curtain. We were doing that. We were infiltrating the Soviet communists and they were resisting. They weren't saying, oh, great. Why don't we give you a tower in Moscow and you can broadcast it to our people here? No, they resisted it. Just like we would resist it if somebody said voice of communism and started blasting radio into America, we'd at least have a conversation about who was controlling it. Now, we'd probably end up with free speech stuff going on. But TikTok is different. 
And if you take, again, one thing away, the Monroe Doctrine demands that TikTok be banned. It should happen now. All right, we got to take a break. We'll be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And uh, our next guest, uh, he's becoming a uh, frequent guest. It's been a couple of years since uh, we had him on, or maybe a year or so. And now we had him on a few weeks ago. People enjoy hearing from him. Scott Phelps uh, is the uh, leader, the the president, I think it's president and CEO, of the Abstinence and Marriage Education Partnership. If you go to ampartnership.org, you can see uh, their story and and uh, the curriculum they have, the resources they have, uh, a lot going on and maybe maybe i hate to say it uh scott it's it's a good time to be in your business because uh the education system is just deteriorating so welcome back scott phelps how are you sir oh my goodness yes thank you so much ed yeah to your point you know i like to say this i say every day our work becomes more difficult and every day our work becomes more necessary yep Yep, there you go. Well, that's, that's a great way to say it. Scott Phelps. And again, um, the Absence and Marriage Education Partnership and the way they phrase it, advancing a movement that inspires hope for a healthy future marriage. In other words, it's not only about sort of behave now. Abstinence is good for you. It's here's how here's how things can work uh, well and better based on not a guess and not just it would be more than enough if you said the, the biblical teaching and faith teaching, but also on the, the science studying things. Um, Scott, uh, I just was talking with John Schlafly, our, our old friend. He's got a column up this week on the education system. One question I ask him all the time because and Phyllis Schlafly, the late Phyllis Schlafly, the, the founder of, of your work, uh, Kathleen Sullivan, they, they were proponents. And I knew you are, too, to some extent of make where you are better. And so when you're in the public school, you got to make the public school better. But. It, it feels like the public school is getting worse and worse, faster and faster. The ways for parents to be able to say, give me a better curriculum or help me opt out for my child is getting more and more limited. And at a certain point, Scott, don't you feel and don't you feel a lot of your people would say, get out of the public school. Don't try to even save it. You cannot save it. How do you fight through that? Yeah. So I would say our approach is a both and right. Yeah, uh, we would certainly support those who want to get out and homeschool or private school. Absolutely. Uh, but then we also recognize that not everyone can get out. So we've got to do everything we can to improve uh, and make the uh, edu- public educational system better. That That's the bigger beast and the, the more difficult task for sure. So that those that can get out certainly ought to, because that's going to be the best uh, best case system. Uh, scenario for them and for their children, no question. Again, we're talking with Scott uh, Phelps and his uh, ampartnership.org is his website. You know, uh, looking at your uh, uh, curriculum, um, maybe maybe tell us a little bit about uh, the way it's laid out, what it's doing, and 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 maybe I don't want I don't want to step on that because I want you to tell us more about that. But in a world that's that that kids are faced with massive attention from social media and sexualized content and everything else, you know, how do you? I, I mean, it's almost like is the fight digital first? How do you adjust to that? But don't, but don't don't miss the first part of my request. Tell us a little bit about the curriculum uh, that you've worked on so hard for decades now, and that you use uh, for uh, for young people. Well, thank you. And those two things do go together because the whole point of the curriculum then is to provide healthy, proper instruction for our kids. Sex isn't a bad thing. They need to simply understand the context of marriage as the optimal best 
place for that to occur. And so what we're trying to do is is give them some sense of context and, and understanding. See, it's not just that our kids are exposed to sexual activity. If you think about it, all of the media, as you mentioned, the social media, the media, the computer, the Internet, everything is not only putting sex in their face, but but it's sex without any sense of context to the relationship of marriage. So all their, they, they have no way to understand what this is supposed to be. And so what we want to do is give them proper, healthy guidance regarding the benefits of reserving all sexual activity for the context of a marriage relationship. And this is what's not happening in the public schools. So coming back to your first point of our curriculum, our curriculum is the answer. It's the solution. We're not just about getting rid of sex education, although we're very much for getting rid of sex education, which we think is corrosive to the national soul. But it's then replacing it with that which is good and healthy and and sensible. And to be honest with you, Ed, one of the reasons why our curriculum works so well with students is because it's truth. And truth comports with their nature, and they embrace it readily when it's presented to them honestly and clearly. So, yes, our curriculum is designed as an alternative to harmful, corrosive sex education programs, which will not even provide for them the option of reserving all sexual activity for the context of marriage, the safest healthiest, best message for our kids is not only lacking in the educational system, in in many places, it's literally banned. If you want to talk about the larger school systems around the country, uh, programs like ours are persona non grata. You you can't even get in. Right. Uh, Where we can, which is a lot of places we are, but uh, the idea of the curriculum, as you've pointed out, is to replace what is harmful for our kids with what is good for our kids. Well, Scott Phelps is our guest. And Scott, you know, your your uh, communications uh, guy, Noah Dingley, who we all worked with uh, on this program and others has, has been was back and forth with me um, sending us uh, t- sort of topics to talk about. And, and one of the things was an article, I think, on Fortune.com and about some surveys that were done, though, about uh, uh, I think from the CDC uh, uh, that, you know, young people, they, they may actually not be having uh, intercourse, but they're having all kinds of everything else. And and, and and I guess my point is, again, it's almost like the, the ground is shifting so fast in the modern world. You know, it, it, the, the, the pressure of young people in 10 years, I'd say, maybe 15, to be open to um, whatever gender you want and therefore whatever person you're attracted to, that, that, that's happened really fast. I mean, and so it's, it's shifting so rapidly underneath the feet of the whole culture, but especially the kids. No, it really is, you know, because I've been doing this for many years now, coming up on 25 years now. And I would say, Ed, for the majority of that time until, as you said, just a few years ago, the the real challenge was over, uh, you know, what you're teaching kids in terms of using contraception or waiting for marriage, those kinds of sort of uh, basic uh uh, concepts. And then now over these last few years, we've just sort of gone over the falls with what's called SOGI, sexual orientation, gender identity. And the SOGI issues have brought massive confusion into our young people. When you talk about the rates of depression and mental illness and suicide and all of the struggles that our kids are facing, I place so much of that right at the feet of sex education, which is boring into the core of our kids' identity and doing great damage to them. No question. 
Uh, Scott Phelps, again, is our guest, and his website is uh, ampartnership.org, uh, the Abstinence and Marriage Education Partnership. A lot of resources there, a lot of curriculum, a lot of uh, uh, programs, and, and also you can contact them and be involved. And it's uh, they're a nonprofit, so you can support them, too, at the end of the year here. Um, Scott, uh, your um, your uh, competitors, and I don't mean in the in the abstinence space or the sort of conservative space, but yeah. for, for getting to the kids, uh, for reaching children on these key issues uh, on one level it's the whole culture is against you yep. but on another level somebody like planned parenthood is a dominant uh advocate for i think or tell me and they get they get hundreds of millions of, do- of tax dollars they absolutely do they're they're not only the largest provider of abortion in america they're the largest provider of sex education programs for our kids mm-hmm. they influence and drive uh, sex education policy nationally. They are burrowed into uh, many state legislatures in terms of what is taught to our kids and their influence uh, in the legislation, in the school code of what is taught. And uh, it is a significant problem. And, you know, it's not just Planned Parenthood, but then, as I said, they've burrowed in. It's the entire educational complex, government complex, media complex, all of that is pushing, promoting a Planned Parenthood message on our kids. That's what we're up against. No question about yeah, it. Yeah, it's it is uh, that part of it is really uh, uh, daunting. And and I say, you know, I often tell people you have to think a little differently than you used to. In fact, I remember Kathleen Sullivan, or sometimes conservatives want to think in one way. Like Kathleen Sullivan would tell the story back in the day. Uh, I think it was uh, Senator Denton um, who was an yeah. advocate of this education, and at one point. Phil, the late Phyllis Schlafly, Kathleen Sullivan, both conservatives, both people that didn't want government involved in things if they didn't have to be said, you know, we ought to go get some of that government money. I mean, you can you can uh, it's like term limits. You can say you like term limits and wait till, you know, Ron Paul term limits himself out. And, and then we miss it. We lose him in the Congress. And you can say, well, I'm never going to take tax dollars, except the other side is taking tax dollars by the by the bushel. And so there's a there's this balance here where I think conservatives have to think a little differently and say, you know what, if we're going to balance this out, we're going to have to be able to and willing to uh, step in and, and, you know, and avoid the strings, avoid the entanglements, but, uh, but, but get involved. Scott, we're out of time. Thank you. As always, happy Thanksgiving to you. I appreciate you being on. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Thanks, Ed. All right. We'll take a break and I'll put all that up on social media. Uh, I'm Scott Phelps and uh, his great organization. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our next guest is Terry Schilling. And if you listen closely or even not so closely, wherever you're listening, you'll hear Terry Schilling weighing in on a lot of the key issues that are happening. And uh, he is over at the American Principles Project. Um, I forget now. I, I look at my notes, uh, Terry, if you're the president, CEO or both or all the presidents, president Terry Schilling <laughs> and uh, at Schilling 1776 on X. Uh, Terry, your ears would have been burning. I know I texted you after, so you'll you'll recall it but i i there were visitors last week from poland uh from one of the big think tanks uh ordo Uris, and uh the main guy said to me you know we're here it's a we were up in new york for the u.n uh there was a meeting of conservatives observers of the u.n he said we came down to washington just for a day and he said you know or two days i guess and he said um one of the you know want to meet a couple of big you know organizations that are pushing good issues and he brought up the american principles project and he knew uh what you were up to and what was going on so that's a a great 
sign. And I think I did push him on it. That one of the things that's gotten a ton of attention for lots of folks in America, as well as uh, the rest of the world, is the Big Family Pledge, I guess it's called, uh, the American Principles Project Big Family Pledge. And so welcome back, Terry. How are you? Good. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, love coming on your show. Well, thank you. And and uh, so tell me about the, uh, an update. A while ago, we talked about the Big Family Pledge, and you were, I think it was a few months ago. Tell me what's gone on with it. Has it gotten uh, the kind of attention you expected? If you go to the website, AmericanPrinciplesProject.org, by the way, everybody, it's right there on the front page. So tell me about it again. Describe it again and how it's going. It's going great, actually. You know, we've got we, uh, last cycle, we got over 160 people to sign the pledge. And the pledge is very simple. It says that I'm going to, if I get elected, I'm going to vote and introduce legislation to protect children and their innocence in schools. I'm going to protect parental parental rights to direct the upbringing of our children. It, it goes on and on. And it's basically a, a list of things that you have to do in order to consider a pro-family candidate. Uh, and the reason we introduce that, Ed, it's, it's very simple, is that we need to get these guys on record. We need right. to get them on record for what they're actually going to do in office. All too often, these are personality conflicts or contests, right? It, we, yep. And guess what? Republicans lose the personality contests. We're, we're just not <laughs> as cool as the, as the Hollywood Democrats. Right? Wait a second. Uh, wait a second. I don't know. I've seen, <laughs> Terry, I've seen some of your videos with your family. You're pretty cool. Well, maybe not. But anyway, it's fun. <laughs> anyway, I get your point. Go ahead. Keep going. But 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 that's what politics is about, right? It, I don't care if you're a personal believer in Jesus Christ. I mean that that's helpful. That's that's important. I care more about what you're going to do while in office. And the only way I can know or have a good idea is if you pledge to me to to vote a certain way or to introduce certain legislation. And so you know, a lot of times we've seen these guys rise up and they'll they'll run for office and they'll say, "Listen." Uh, when it comes to abortion, I just want you all to know that I'm a devout Christian. What does that mean? Right. right. That's not a policy pledge. You're just right. you're just you're taking the cop out. Are you going to protect the unborn at 15 weeks? Are you going to protect them in a heartbeat? Like, what does that mean to be a Christian uh, when it comes to public office? We wanted to get clarity from these guys, get them on the record. And it's going very, very well. We, we actually introduced uh, something new this year for the presidential race, which is a presidential tracker. And what we are doing is we're tracking all of the public pledges pertaining to family issues from the presidential campaigns. And mm. guess who performs the best? Donald Trump. Mm. By far and large, he's the only person with the vast majority of of the, the areas uh, with a bright green check mark. He only has one question mark, and that's on uh, protecting children from porn online. Mm -hmm. uh, but everything else, protecting kids from gender ideology in school, protecting them from critical race theory, getting boys out of girls sports, protecting parental rights education. He's phenomenal on this. There's no one that's gone above and beyond as much as Donald Trump has. And I think that that really tells us why he's doing so well in the polls. Uh, we're talking with Terry Schilling, again, president of over at the American Principles Project. Uh, if I can say, Terry, as uh, president, your tenure here, you've injected some uh, new energy and that's been exciting to watch and we were mentioning uh, there's a bunch of things i want to say there one thing an observation about uh, president trump the fact that he doesn't have the conventional means of coverage he's done these videos and and i know this because i've asked his campaign these policy videos that speak about the issues as you point out i mean he does have a track record but he's got these issues. he's talking about the, the school boards he's talking about uh, education he's talking about uh you know the the family um terry are you benefiting from 
from, I mean, I think you are, but are you able to figure out a way to ride this wave of people speaking like Elon Musk has, has uh, posted on X about, you know, you got to have kids. And now he's got a little bit of an unconventional family set up. He's got a couple of ex-wives or whatever it was. So I'm not, I'm not putting him out there as a model, but I am saying around the world, there's a conversation about, Hey, are you, are we going to have families um, that are, are going to support our social security, Medicare, all these things. And one of the things you have to do is have more than, you know, a dog and, uh, you know, I love dogs. <laughs> After I, we have two and, but I have four kids with the two dogs. So I, I feel like that debate and that, that conversation has come in your direction. And then the answer is, Hey, don't expect people to have uh, four kids, three, four kids, six kids, whatever number, if you don't have policies that actually incentivize it. No, no, that's exactly right. So uh, we are trying to take advantage of the situation and, and really the crisis that America is in, right? We are in a depopulation crisis. And the real problem with going into period of depopulation, Ed, is that you turn from construction and building new buildings and creation to deconstruction, to demolition, right? Uh, Germany, Italy, these nations in Europe have gone through the depopulation bomb, and mm. they've seen this firsthand where they go from building beautiful buildings to tearing down those buildings because they're, 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 they have no value. They don't have people to work in the factories. They don't have people to fill the buildings uh, and, and, and to buy the homes. So they, they, it lowers the housing prices when you have all these empty homes. And that's a very dangerous position to be in. And that's a death spiral. Like literally, yeah. it's all related to how many kids you have. And the problem with America, though, is that over the last century, we have shifted from believing that children are a blessing from the Lord and that there are more hands to help you with, uh, with all of your matters in your home to being a burden. Right. Yeah. We have this generation right. now. There's a TikTok trend of these young unmarried women in their 20, you know, in the late 20s and, and 30s where they're bragging about going to Bali and not having children and not being married. Like I'm living the best life. Well, those people are going to die alone. They're yeah. going to be very lonely and miserable when they when they reach their 40s and 50s. And they're going to be voting miserably, which means they're going to be voting for Democrats. So we have to change this now <laughs> yeah, as yeah. soon as possible. You know, um, Terry, I do want to get to this uh, uh, column. You, you had put out some commentary on a on a piece that ran over uh, uh, New York Post. I think they were um, they were borrowing a Fox business. I think employers are fed up with college waste. Opt for skilled blue collar workers instead. Uh, the connective tissue I want to make, Terry, is when you have a family of seven, eight, nine kids, some of them are going to go to college, but some of them are going to start a business. Some of them are going to, I don't know, some, one or two might marry young and have a family. Some of them are going to go to trade school. I mean, the diversity of options. And and the point is, uh, college is a waste for a lot of kids that are sort of forced there by the culture. Yeah, no, that's right. Uh, not just the culture, it's, it's the economy, right? Yeah, uh, it yeah. used to be that, uh, businesses and, 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 and companies would actually train people on the job. And then somewhere around the forties, fifties and sixties, they started outsourcing that to colleges, so, uh, journalism, right? That is a right. historically <laughs> blue collar industry in this country all the way up until I would say probably the two thousands. That's when that really started to change where you needed the college degree to be a journalist. Uh, but it used to be a blue collar thing. And that was a very healthy, uh, way to do journalism because blue collar people are much closer to the ground and they're much less, uh, indoctrinated and, and they're much less ideologues and they're much more focused on reality. That 
That's why these local newspapers used to write so much about infrastructure and, and, but also lowering taxes. Right. Uh, yeah. uh, and so, um, hey, look, I'm going through this right now. My eldest is 18. She's looking at colleges and she's actually a student, right? She's actually very smart. She has phenomenal grades. I'm very proud of her. But the question is, where do you send her? Right. Right. Do you send right. her to a state school, save a little bit of money, but risk indoctrination, or do you pay a little bit extra and go to Hillsdale or, right. or, or, you know, Liberty yeah. or, you know, one yep. of these really good schools? And it's a real struggle, but I, I see the future of America. It has to be more blue collar. We have way too many college degrees out there. They're all worthless. A college degree. There's one college locally in my hometown. They charge $70,000 a year and it's not even that good of a school. So you do the math. That's four times 70. That's 280,000. A bachelor's degree is not worth a hundred thousand dollars, let alone $280,000. Right. Yeah. Uh, no. So we have to start shifting back to the blue collar jobs because those are what make the world go round. Well, it's, uh, I think that's great, Terry. And I think especially the conversation, which, uh, your, your voice is reaching all across, all the way across the world, as I mentioned in Poland. Um, so thank you. We're unfortunately have to cut your voice off because we're out of time on this segment. Terry Schilling, everybody, I'll put up uh, on uh, our social media and our show notes, uh, links to his, uh, the piece that he was commenting on and especially to AmericanPrinciplesProject.org where you can see a lot of their great work. We've got to take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Mrs. Schlafly was a courageous and articulate voice for traditional values and common sense for more than 70 years. Now continuing that legacy, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. CNN reports that union members, once uniformly Democrat in voting, have increasingly shifted to vote Republican. It's not difficult to see why, especially if you're willing to honestly assess the issues surrounding the recent United Auto Workers strike. The UAW strike is music to the ears of far left Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont, who quickly piled on by deploring the outrageous level of corporate greed. His slovenly dressed comrade in the U.S. Senate, the foul mouthed John Fetterman, joined picketing strikers. The radical new UAW president, Sean Fain, declared that billionaires, in my opinion, don't have a right to exist. The very existence of billionaires shows that we have an economy that is working for the benefit of the few and not the many. With comments like this from Fain, is it any wonder why conservative auto workers who believe in the American dream are having difficulty identifying with the goals of their union? As soon as the strike was announced, a central demand by the militant new UAW leadership was to shrink to a four-day work week while insisting on full five-day pay. This would harm the competitiveness of the Detroit automakers and set the precedent for a broad reduction in other services to the American public, such as reduced mail delivery. At a time when the economy is struggling so badly, the last thing America needs is more people sitting around at home, whether due to unemployment or underemployment. The radical leftists that make up the UAW's leadership aren't interested in giving workers the chance to be paid well for a hard day's work. They only want to take as much as they can take while giving as little as they can give, all justified in the name of class warfare. The future for American workers is conservatives' consistently strong stance against losing automobile jobs to China and against subsidizing electric cars that Detroit cannot afford to make. Rather than be left behind due to their outdated class warfare rhetoric, the UAW leaders should identify with conservatives' messages 
to attain employment growth with good-paying manufacturing jobs. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. The false promise of socialism is an illusion. It devalues hard work and creativity. It's the opposite of the American dream. As proven around the world, socialism breaks the human spirit. At phyllisschlafly.com, we're standing against the rise of socialism. For more, go to phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report. Hey, I got to do a Peggy Noonan watch, a Peggy Noonan watch, the the writer for the Wall Street Journal. She writes a weekly column called Declarations. She's done so for decades. Um, she is an accomplished writer. Um, she served as a speechwriter in the Reagan administration, and uh, and she's written speeches and she's written columns for, I don't know, got to be 30 years uh, the compilation of her uh, essays, her columns is really good because it's kind of a march through history. You sort of see what's going on. And I used to really agree with her a lot. And then she got Trump derangement syndrome. And I still read her because she's influential and she's a good writer, uh, but she's completely out of control and she's out of control. And what she's mostly identifying now is what she calls out of control populism, the populism of the people. We, the people, are out of control. What's ironic is that she came into the Reagan White House on what was called the Reagan Revolution. And everybody back then said the Reagan Revolution was people they were out of control. They were populist. They were they were bucking the establishment. They were not paying attention to the norms and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. In fact, one of the uh, I think one of the essays she wrote, which is really funny and, and interesting, she said, um, we came for the Reagan, we came for the Reagan revolution and we never left, meaning all these revolutionaries came to Washington, D.C. They were supposed to come in and change the government and get it back after they, you know all this stuff. And we're going to you know, change everything up and we're going to limit things and then cut government. Then we're going to leave. Or, you know, we're going to do that and go back to our families, you know, federalism, back to the, the states and all. And they all came and they built huge think tanks and training centers and had uh, lobby shops and became influential. And she said, we came for the Reagan Revolution and we never left. Well, I would submit to you that the MAGA revolution, which she decries and describes as so problematic and, and goes into, is really the Reagan Revolution. It's a it's a, re, a redo of the Reagan revolution where people feel like they were left behind. They were left back in their home states in the Rust Belt and in the far southwest and places. And they watch the economy go down, down, down. Jobs go down, down, down. And they say to themselves, you know what? I want something different and I'm fed up about it. And I'm not really interested in the norms you tell me I'm supposed to moder- uh, to uh, to abide by. I'm not really interested in the in the guidelines that you tell me about how we're supposed to do things. No, I'm kind of fed up, and I'm kind of uh, interested in somebody breaking the system a little bit and changing the dynamic a little bit. And I'll take that. And that's what I think you're seeing. And so watching the um, the uh, Peggy Noonan set wring their hands over the the uh populism of p of the of the grassroots is amazing to watch it's amazing to watch and here's the thing by the time it's done 
you end up with, uh, by the time this movement gets to election day, you end up with a really interesting coalition. Because notwithstanding the never Trumpers, who are kind of, uh, you know, consider themselves enlightened and therefore can't vote for Trump, normal Republicans will vote for a Trump presidency. They'll vote for a Trump campaign. And social conservatives now believe in Trump. They trust him. And the MAGA people that want someone to stand up to the broken system, they're in there fired up. That's the whole MAGA. That's the base. And there's a whole bunch of other people who are looking at the system and they're saying the system is rigged. The system is really rigged against we, the people. And I, I, you know, I want something different and I want something dramatically different. And I'm not saying Donald Trump will win uh, all, you know, a a majority of African-American males, but he might win 30%. Even if he wins 20%, it's a huge number. I'm not saying that Donald Trump is going to win uh, a majority of uh, uh, first generation Hispanic Americans, but he might win 30 percent. I'm not saying Donald Trump is going to win a, a majority of the Indian American community, which tends to, tends to go Democrat, but they're, they're, they, t- they are um, uh, uh, more inclined to go towards good government, even though they'll lean a little. But he might win 30 or 40 percent. He might win 50 percent. A lot of Indian Americans are people that want to carry on. They want to educate their kids. They want to go to good schools. They want to build businesses. They don't want government confiscating their, uh, their, their salaries for taxes. They don't want uh, a big government growing into all this woke stuff. So I think the coalition of populist voters is getting pretty big. It's getting pretty big. Uh, it's the numbers are growing and you have to wonder Again, we go through the next 11 months, 10 months. It gets really, really interesting fast on who who is who is left out of at least taking a second look. OK, I know one group, you know, liberal white women are not going to take a second look at uh, Donald Trump. Probably not. He's probably not going to get 20 percent. And maybe African-American women, although I got to say older African-American women, when you look at some of the data and you, you anecdotal, they're kind of fed up too. They're saying, you know, you haven't the, 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 for all the promises people have made. It's not really working out for our community. So that coalition is going to be something. And I, I wonder how the uh, Peggy Noonans are going to handle the growing tide. I mean, it's looking like a, a groundswell in favor of the populist positions, as she calls them. the populist positions just look like popular positions. Positions that more people want than don't. I think that's where it's headed. All right, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you, as always, to uh, uh, Ryan Height, our producer, Mason Mohan, associate producer. Thank you for tuning in. Don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up there for uh, the email. You'll get a, a notification when I'm writing there. And uh, visit PhyllisSchlafly.com, PhyllisSchlafly.com, to see all of the great work we're doing there. We will be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Talk to you then.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.